Good morning. My name's Joe. I'm one of the pastoral interns here, and it's good to be with you this morning. Um, as we get started, before I get into our passage this morning, I want to give a brief thank you um, to the community at Celebration. Before Kaylee and I even knew that we were going to be here or part of the community or serving here in really any way, this community has reached out to us in enormous ways, um, from having managers that are part of the community here to having daycare providers that are part of the community here, um, even having a lawnmower sold to us from someone that's part of the community here. Um, that's really huge for us, especially as newly married um, and young parents. It's huge to be impacted by this community. So formally and publicly, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Formally and publicly, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so enough of the sappy stuff. We have a lot to get through this morning. Um, so before we get into our passage... I have a little video that you may remember from a few months ago. Um, we'll watch. So that video, a commercial from the 90s about Apple products, ends with that phrase, think different. And as we've been going through the book of Philippians over the last few months, you remember, may remember that from the very beginning, where we're challenged to think differently, not just about ourselves, not just about Jesus and who God is, but really we're challenged to think differently in every aspect of our lives. The gospel changes every part of our lives, not just a few things here, not just Sunday mornings, but it changes everything. And we're challenged and called to think differently. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, there'll be a few people walking down the aisles at some point in the service. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and they can give you one. Um, I'll get to our passage here real quick. The page number is 820. I remember that this morning to put that in there. So I'm pretty proud of myself. So Philippians 2, 8 and 9. Let me read it for you and then we'll get into this. It's actually Philippians 4, 8 and 9, not 2. I shouldn't have changed the page number. I wouldn't have forgotten about that. But Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Last week, Pastor Jim talked about verse 5 in this little phrase, the Lord is near, and how there's a couple different dimensions to that. One of them is a, a real-time dimension. Um, if you're going to visit someone and you're running a little bit late, you say, I'm almost there, I'll be there soon, I'm near, thinking about time-wise. But there's also a dimension in that phrase where it's spatially. God is near, he's among us, he's with us. His presence is here. And Paul, who's one of the first Christians who wrote this book of Philippians and a lot of the other books in the New Testament, he was really fond of this idea that God is here, that he's dwelling with us, that he's among us. It's really important, really huge for him because it's comforting. It's revolutionary. In the Old Testament, the ancient people of Israel, they thought of God as dwelling in the temple or the tabernacle, and he was among them there. That's where he lived. That's where he dwelled. And that was comforting because the God of the universe dwelled among them. But now Paul is saying that the God of the universe is near. He's close. He's among us now. We don't need a temple. You don't need a tabernacle. Because of the gospel, God is here 
with us. And that is so revolutionary, so important. And it's comforting. It's tempting to read that last verse as an if-then kind of statement. So if you do all these things, finally, brothers and sisters, if you do all this, the God of peace will be with you. But that's not really what Paul's saying here. This last little phrase is comforting. It's an encouragement. It's a reminder that God is with us. And we need to be reminded of that because we forget it. It's really important to remember that the God of peace, the God whose very order, God whose very presence brings about order is with us. He's here. He's near. He's among us. He's dwelling here now. So before we get into the other verses, I want to show you a picture real quick, give you a little context of my own life. This is my family. And you may be thinking, wow, look at his young wife and his, uh, his young mom and his old father. But that is actually my oldest sister and my older brother. Um, I'm the handsome one in the middle. That's a nice little jacket. I wish I still had it. Um, but these are my siblings. You may notice that I'm quite a bit younger than all of them. Um, I'm what my mom would call a surprise or a blessing. Um, I'm not going to go into that very much, but I was not necessarily planned. I'm 10 years younger than my closest sister, Christy, and 20 years younger than my oldest sister, Vicky. So it's this really unique situation. It's not really unique to me because I'm used to it. It's just my family and I have to deal with it. Um, (laughs) But it's interesting because my siblings are all within 10 years of each other, all four of them. They grew up in the poor years. They grew up in the ghetto years. And I'm kind of like the only child that lived it up by himself. (laughs) Um, And so there's a lot of implications about that. The way I think, the way I um, process information, the way I deal with the world kind of really comes into play because of this. Um, One of the other implications is that my parents are quite a bit older than even my siblings. Um, I'm not going to tell you their age. And I don't have a picture of them because they are here in the flesh incarnate. They dwell among us. They are here. Um, They came to visit this morning. I'm thankful that they're here. Um, But they are quite a bit older than even my siblings, which is how family works. Um, And so when I was growing up, I kind of got the privilege of growing up under their leadership and their, um, they've honed in on their parenting skills, I guess. I couldn't get away with anything because all of my siblings did already. Um, I couldn't say things because my parents knew when to stop me from talking because they had been there already. They were pretty wise, pretty experienced. So I got the blessing of growing up underneath that. Sometimes it wasn't a blessing because I wanted to sneak out at night, but we lived 10 miles from any other person, so it didn't really work that way. Um, But this passage, this Philippians 4, 8, is really close to my heart. When I was about 9 or 10, I remember watching Jurassic Park for the first time. I don't know if you've heard of that movie. It's just a little movie. Um, I remember watching Jurassic Park for the first time, and I was so excited because finally I got to watch Jurassic Park, this movie about dinosaurs and adventure, and I was so pumped about it. But we lived in the middle of the woods, and I know the woods isn't really the jungle where dinosaurs live, but I was pretty terrified at night after I watched Jurassic Park. I'm a pretty adventurous person, an adventurous kid, but no one wants to get eaten by a raptor. Let's be real. That's not what you want. And so I was really, really terrified of that movie. I kept going over the scenes in my mind. I kept wondering if I was going to get eaten by a dinosaur. I kept wondering what would I do if I was trapped on an island with dinosaurs? What if all my friends got eaten by dinosaurs? All these different thoughts were swirling around my mind. I couldn't sleep, and I was terrified. 
And I remember very vividly sitting on my bed with my, my knees curled up to my chest, just kind of like, like nervous and like, I don't know if I was crying. I probably was. I cried a lot. But I was just like sitting there, terrified, couldn't go to sleep. And my mom came in and she quoted this verse to me. She quoted these things that we're supposed to think about. I can remember sitting there thinking, man, this is huge. I don't have to be scared of dinosaurs. I don't have to be afraid of losing my friends. I don't have to be afraid or worry about what ifs because I'm really free to think about these good things. I'm free to think about whatever's lovely, whatever's pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. The gospel frees us to think that way. Now, there's a few ways you could take this. I'll go back to the passage for us so we can look at it. There's a few ways you could take the, this thought process that Paul presents here. You could take it on one extreme where it's kind of this blissful ignorance. A lot of our culture presents Christians and Christ followers to be blissfully ignorant, where we turn a blind eye to all the suffering in the world and all the pain in the world, and we just don't want to think about that because look at all these good things we can think about. Blissfully ignorant, kind of ignoring the real problems in the world. I don't think that's what Paul's getting at here. He's not saying be ignorant to what's happening in the world. But he's saying there are good things we can think about. The other end of the spectrum, I don't think he's talking about the power of positive thinking. That psychological concept where if you change your thoughts, you can change your life. That kind of idea. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. And this isn't even really a spectrum either. I think it's much deeper than blissful ignorance or the power of positive thinking. This is real, tangible freedom to dwell on the good things in our world. To dwell on the good things that the gospel brings about. Our minds are constantly absorbing information. From the moment we wake up until we go to sleep, we're constantly absorbing information. We're absorbing everything that we see. Even if you don't really realize it, our minds are taking in information and processing it. Maybe not internalizing it, but processing it. And that information that we absorb at all times is constantly molding who we are. Even when we're asleep, our minds are still processing and going over the information that we saw that day. There's been some studies done about how sleep is kind of resetting your mind to just be able to process more information the next day. So our minds are really designed to take in information and store it and think about it and process it. And we don't really have a lot of say in that. It just happens. Our minds are constantly thinking and absorbing and being molded by the things that we see in our world. I can see this in our daughter, Nora, who's only 14 months old. There's times when we actively, intentionally teach her things, like how to count to two. She loves saying two over and over again. Or when we teach her to say thank you, she understands like when you exchange things, you say thank you, sometimes at the wrong times. But she knows that thank you is a thing, and we taught her that. Um, when she learned to walk, we were kind of there with her, helping her learn to walk. And that was just part of us being parents, teaching. But what we didn't teach her is how to say no. Somehow she learned that. We didn't teach her how to throw her head back and scream either, but she didn't want to do something. We didn't teach her to dance, but she loves to dance. We didn't teach her how to unlock an iPhone screen, but she can. She picked up that information from watching us do things. And that information molded her, molded her mind into the person that she's becoming. 
It's kind of scary if you think about it. It's not just kids that do this. It's not just this that happens to young children. Um, You may have seen this billboard before. They learn from watching you eat more veggies and fruits, and they will too. It's like a Dr. Seuss rhyme. But this kind of encapsulates that. Our children don't just learn from school. They learn from watching. They learn from absorbing information, seeing other people do things, seeing billboards like this. Not just children and infants, but we do this too. We as adults absorb information all the time, and it molds us and shapes us into the people that we are. And our culture kind of depends on this. Our culture that wants to sell us stuff. Culture that wants us to tell us what to think. Culture that wants us to be a certain thing. Our culture depends on this fact that we absorb information and it molds us into the people that we are. Again, pretty terrifying. Pretty scary. But the gospel frees us to not have to live under that. You see, our minds are naturally passive. They naturally absorb information without us thinking about it. But the gospel says, no, you can actively think about these things. Think about these things that are good. And this list here isn't exhaustive. These aren't the only things you can think about. You don't have like a checklist where you say, oh, nope, it's not, not trustworthy, not praiseworthy, not noble. Oh, but it is lovely. Can I think about it? That's not the way this list works. But this is rather a representation of the good things in our world. From the good creator God that gave us things. He says, think about the goodness in our world. Think about what is lovely in our world. So you work at a job, and you're a pretty good worker, pretty industrious, pretty consistent. You always do an excellent job. Sometimes you stay late at work. Sometimes you come in early to work to get things done. Your boss really likes you. Your coworkers really like you. You've never really been late, never really not shown up to work. You've always just been a good, consistent worker. But one day, something happens at work that you didn't do, but your boss pins it on you. You say, whoa, 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 I'm a, I'm a great worker. Why would this be my fault? But whatever you say and whatever you do, you can't, you can't avoid it. It's getting pinned on you. And even more so, you find out that your boss pinned it on you on purpose because he didn't want to take the blame. And you start thinking about it, and you start thinking about your boss and how disrespectful and unjust that was. And culture tells us to think about revenge. And so you sit there and use your mind space to just think about possible ways that you could get back at your boss. And it's not even that you necessarily would do the things. It just feels good to think about vengeance. And our culture tells us that that's what you do. That's what you do. And you think about those things. Or you're a student. You're at school. You're a pretty good worker. Sometimes you do too much. Try to get extra credit all the time. Don't really have many friends because you're working so hard in your classes. Try to get A's and try to be the best that you can be. There's been a few classes where someone's smarter than you and it just makes you so angry. It just makes you work harder, though. makes you work harder at your studies and harder at your classes, writing better papers, doing better work. And pretty soon... The only thing you're thinking about 
is being the best. And our culture tells us that's what you have to do. You have to be the very best that you can be. Don't let anyone take away your happiness. Be the very best that you can be. You start dwelling on ways that are even hypothetical that you wouldn't even do, but ways to be the best. You think about those things. Or you're just a busy person. You work two jobs, maybe go to school, maybe have a family, but you're constantly running back and forth trying to juggle all the things that you have to do all the time. And you're nervous that if something falls out of it, you're going to miss it. You're going to lose some responsibility. You're going to lose money. You're going to lose friendships. And you're so busy all the time that all you're thinking about is not dropping anything. And then, when you get a free moment to just think, instead of reorienting yourself back to the gospel or anything like that, you think of, how can I rest? How can I indulge myself now? Need some me time. So in the midst of the busyness, all you're thinking about is yourself. All you're thinking about is how to make yourself happy. And culture tells us that you deserve that. Culture says, think about those things. And you do. You dwell on those things. And these things aren't in the Bible anywhere. The Bible doesn't say, think about vengeance. The Bible doesn't say, work harder and you'll be happier. The Bible doesn't say, think only about yourself and life will be perfect. The Bible says, think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Now, we've been talking about the book of Philippians for quite a while now, and it's really coming to a culmination here. This is like the climax. This is how we're supposed to live in the world, how we're supposed to see the world. As citizens of heaven, we have responsibilities to think differently. Like that Apple ad, think different. And this is a way to do that. The following verse after this says, if, if there's anything you've heard or seen or received from me, that's, talking, that's Paul talking, do those things. It's interesting how he has thought, like your thought and your mind comes before what you do. Because our minds are constantly absorbing information, and what we do comes out of that. So Paul says, think about these things here. We spend so much of our time fantasizing about revenge. Fantasizing about how we've been wronged and how it feels so good to just think about getting back at someone. And it does feel good. We spend so much time thinking about how we can be the best person that we can be. Thinking about how we can show everyone else up. How we can be better than everyone else. We spend so much of our lives thinking about getting stuff done. Proving our worth through what we do. When we could be spending that time thinking about how to actively create life in people. How instead of vengeance, you could think about how to pray for that person. How to pray for your enemies, like Jim talked about earlier. How to love that person and bring them closer to Christ. Instead of thinking about how to be the best person we can be, 
thinking about these things and becoming a citizen of heaven to shine back to the gospel. Instead of thinking about what we can do to prove our worth, think about our identity in Christ and how we're fully known and fully loved. And that's our identity in Christ. See, these aren't just hypotheticals that, oh, well, that's cool. I could think about what's true or whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure. But this is what we're supposed to do as followers of Christ, as citizens of heaven. This is our, our call to change the way we think. And we have to actively do this because if we just sit back and don't realize that culture molds us, that our minds constantly absorb everything around us, if we just sit back and don't realize that, then we're going to fall into that trap of vengeance, of selfishness, of being the best that we can be. Even preparing for this sermon, I was doing this. I was like, man, I, what, if, what if this happens or this happens? What if I put Philippians 2 on the slide instead of Philippians 4? What if I do that? <laughs> but instead of thinking about the good things about the gospel and the good things about who Christ is, I was dwelling on the things that could go wrong. You can kind of feel that tension as you start thinking about those bad things in your life and the negative aspects. It just pulls you down farther and farther away from who Christ is. And we're here, if we're, if we're Christ followers here today, we are that because we believe that the way of the cross and the way of Christ is the ideal way to live. It's the most hopeful way to live. It's the most human way to live. And when Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again for us, he also reclaimed our minds. The gospel redeems our minds, redeems our thoughts. And we have to actively participate in that. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your words this morning. We're thankful for um, the book of Philippians and how it challenges us to see the world differently and, and how the gospel impacts every part of our lives. Help us as we go from here to not forget that, but to be reminded that you're with us and that you want us to think about these things. Thank you for all the blessings you give to us and, and all the times we forget to thank you for them. But we are thankful and we love you and we desire to be closer to you. We desire to be uh, ministers of reconciliation, people that love the gospel want to see the world changed. Help us to think about these things. Not to just think on our own desires and what culture tells us to think, but to think about these things. Help us to, to take all of the stuff that we've learned from Philippians, everything that Paul has told us, and do them. And we know that you're with us. Help us to not forget that. We pray all of these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Grace be with you.